I'm going to open this morning out of 2 Corinthians 5, 20 through 6, 2. We are therefore Christ, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you now, is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And him, 606, he leadeth me, O blessed thought.
Well, good morning. It's uh, so good to see every one of you here this morning. Am I a little too loud? Okay. Sounds kind of echoey. Maybe it's a piano. I don't know. So, anyway, um, you know, about AD 140, about AD 140, a, a much traveled ship owner uh, from. Sinope on the Black Sea came to Rome, and his, his this guy's name was uh, Marcion. I don't know if anybody's heard of him. But he was uh, the son of a bishop, and he fell under the spell of the uh, Gnostic teacher, Serdo, who believed that the God of the Old Testament, he said, was, was unknowable, but the Christian God had, had been revealed. He thought there were actually two different gods, an Old Testament God and a, a New Testament God. And the Old Testament God, according to Crato and Marcion, was a God of sheer justice, whereas the God of the New Covenant was, was love and, and gracious. And Marcion came up with his own Bible. He completely threw out the Old Testament. And he modified the Gospel of Luke and kept the Gospel of Luke and and the writings of Paul. And that was his Bible. Everything else he he threw out. And so uh, to him, the, the apostle to the Gentiles was the only apostle who did not corrupt the Gospel of Jesus. Now, this sounds pretty outrageous. This, this is like 140 B.C., pretty early in, in church history. And as, as outrageous as this sounds, uh, Marcion's viewpoint is, is often held by, by Christians who say, we don't, we don't need the Old Testament. What the Old Testament says doesn't apply to us in, in the New Covenant that's the, the covenant of the law. They may use the, the word dispensation, saying, you know, now we're in the dispensation of grace. So the law, the Old Testament, the law and the prophets are, are irrelevant to us. I knew a, a guy in Dallas when we, we lived there. He, he went to our church. And one morning at the, uh, the men's prayer meeting, we were, we were talking about revival. You know, what... what what do we need to do for revival in, in our church? And that's, that's a good question to, to ask. And, uh, you know, we discussed that, you know, rather than, say, more, adding more programs and, and making people more busy, maybe, maybe we need to come back to the Lord. Maybe, there, maybe we need a, a revival. And I uh, said, you know, we, we really need to, to foster this close relationship with with Jesus, and I, I quoted a, a passage from Zechariah, Zechariah one three through four, which says, "Thus declares the Lord of hosts: Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out. Thus saith the Lord: Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. I like that. Return to the Lord, and He'll re- return to you." You know, elsewhere in the scripture, it says, draw close to God and he will draw close to you. That's, that's a great principle. Well, anyway, this is uh, 
kind of interesting because my friend became very indignant and he said, that's the Old Testament. Zechariah is in the Old Testament. That's, that's the law. That's the law. That doesn't apply to us. And that's how he said it too, by, <laughs> by the way. But, you know, his, his own personal theology told him that uh, the Old Testament, in, in fact, for him, anything before the resurrection is the old covenant and it doesn't apply to us. He, this guy would have even said that the uh, Sermon on the Mount does not apply to us because Jesus had not been uh, killed on the cross and, and resurrected. In any case, a lot of people have misconceptions about how we should, how we should look at the Old Testament. There's confusion. So, you know, we, we need to ask that. We need to address that this, this morning. You know, what's the proper place of the teachings of the Old Testament? How, how should we look at the law? How should we consider it? And that's what Jesus talks about in, in today's text. Matthew five seventeen through 20. Jesus addresses the, the law and the prophets, which that is the Old Testament. The law and the prophets and, the, and its place in our, our lives. So Matthew five seventeen through 20, read with me. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. These are some pretty shocking words, I think. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we... Uh, as we, as we come to your word, Lord, I pray that uh, our, our hearts would just be like fertile soil, that your word would, would take root and grow. Open our, our eyes, Lord, to, to see wonderful things from, from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to propose that the Old, the Old Testament, the, the law and the prophets, it still matters. It still matters to us. Jesus, remember, he, he announced the arrival of the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 4, 17. And, you know, he wants, he wants to make it clear that, you know, he's not starting a new religion. He's not starting a new work that, is, that comes into conflict or, or invalidates what has come before. Jesus says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. He knew that some would think this. Otherwise, he wouldn't have brought this up. He wants to make it very clear that the arrival of the kingdom does not do away with God's prior revelation through the law and the prophets, the Hebrew scriptures. <coughs> so, how are we to look at the Old Testament? How does, how does this law apply to us? And there are a couple extremes, a couple, couple directions we could take here. The first would be to say, well, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. We, we still need to observe the, the Sabbath on, on Saturdays. You know, we still need to follow the, uh, the ceremonial laws that, that are laid out. Um, 
you know, we still we still need to observe the the Old Testament uh, feasts and, and festivals. And there are, there are people who hold this position. At a conversation with with a guy in uh, Russellville, I was uh, making copies at uh, Staples, and he walked up to me and just kind of you know looked over my shoulder at what I, what I was copying. And it was some flyers for a, a video we were showing about Billy Graham and. He goes, oh, are you a Christian? I said, yeah, I sure am. And he goes, what do you think about the Sabbath? And I'm thinking, okay, this, this guy wants to argue. You know, so, but he asked, so I told him, I, you know, probably for the next 10 minutes, um, you know, I, I talked to him about how, you know, under the Old Testament law, God required his people to observe the Sabbath. And it was for it was for them. They had been rescued from Egypt, where they worked seven days a week. They worked long, hard hours making bricks and doing labor. And God said, "You know, my people need rest. They need they need some time to just step away, be able to come together and, and worship." Jesus later on says that the, the Sabbath was made for for us. The Sabbath was made for man. You know, this was a law that was was meant for good. And, you know, under Christ, the Sabbath becomes even more significant because we we see that it it points to Christ and we see that it points forward to the the rest, the spiritual rest that we we have in in our Lord. Here's the verse in Mark, uh, Mark's gospel. Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is even Lord of the Sabbath. This, this law was fulfilled in Jesus. And uh, the Apostle Paul talks about it. He says that, you know, some, some observe days and seasons and some don't. And that's okay. If, if you want to take a rest on, on Saturday and, and say that's your Sabbath rest, that's great. That's fine. There's nothing that prohibits you from, from doing that. If you want that to be Sunday, that's fine. You know, for me, for me, it's on it's on Friday. Uh, I, it's it's not relevant to us what day of the week. You know, the principle is really Christ, and that he, we have spiritual rest in Him. He says, "Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest." He's talking about spiritual things. But Paul says, you know, either way, uh, do do all for the glory of the glory of God. He says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there there is liberty. That's Second Corinthians three seventeen. He also says, you are you are called to freedom, brothers. In Galatians five thirteen, only don't use that that freedom for opportunity for the flesh. Anyway, this guy uh, he apparently liked my answer because he agreed to meet with me once a week. And we did this for, for several months. Uh, he, he never could quite shake this, this uh, Sabbatarian view that he had been brought up with. And um, he, he, he came from that background, and he really seemed to be bound by, by this law. And uh, the, the spiritual aspect of it, he, he never 
did seem quite able to, to grasp. I, I believe he put this, this Sabbath requirement on a too high a level. Paul says in Romans fourteen five through 6, one person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in the honor of the Lord. And Paul says, don't pass judgment on your brothers. Don't, Colossians 2, 16 through 17, do not let one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. These things are a shadow of the things that are to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So these things were a shadow. They were a, uh, a signpost pointing us to, uh, to Christ. So that's one way that we can uh, err. The other, the other extreme is to say that uh, the Old Testament is completely irrelevant, you know, and, and, and they just completely discount it. That's what, that's what Marcion did. You know, some say that we're, we're free from the law. And so, you know, rather than being legalistic, they go to the opposite extreme. They become uh, libertines, not libertarians, but libertines. You know, the two extremes are antinomianism, that's being against the law. The other is legalism. Anyway, a lot of people say, you know, I want to just be free to live as I want to live. I want my own truth. You have your truth. I have my truth. And, you know, maybe, maybe we're all guilty of both of these extremes. Maybe, maybe sometimes we, we sway back and forth from, from one to another. I don't know. When, uh, when we lived in Kalispell, some some thing that we noticed was there were a lot of Ten Commandment signs all over the all over town. There must have been a business that that produced these, but uh, gigantic sign with in very large letters the, the Ten Commandments: "You you shall have no other god before me. You shall not make unto thee any graven images, etc." And down at the bottom, it, it almost seemed, to me seemed like fine print. I, I looked this up because I couldn't remember exactly what it said, but in, in the fine print, it says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But the message is, this law is really what it's all about. And, oh yeah, Jesus said this, by the way. And, you know, we've we've seen on the news court battles about uh, Ten Commandments at, at courthouses and Things like that, uh, public pro. You know, um, what do we what do we do with this controversy? You know that the Ten Commandments this is God's law, right? This is God's this is God's heart for His people. It's valid. God doesn't want us to covet or murder or commit adultery or dishonor our parents. But I, you know, I wonder if it's sending the wrong message. You know, what did what did Paul think about the law? Now, I just want to say that uh, this is a big topic. It's hard really to cover all of this stuff in a half an hour. You know, theologians write 500-page books about, about this. 
Martin Luther spent decades studying this. But, you know, Jesus makes these few short statements. So we're kind of focusing, on, I think, on what, on what he is saying. But, you know, what, some, of the, some of the principles just that, that Paul points out, because he's, he writes about it a lot in, in the book of Romans, in, in the book of Galatians. Uh, Romans 7, 7, Paul makes this statement. He said, and, and he's trying to say, okay, what is the law for? What's the purpose of the law? He said in uh, Romans 7, 7, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. That's important. You know, he, he also talks about the law being a, a schoolmaster or, or a guardian that God has placed over us until Christ came. King's, King James Version says the law was our schoolmaster. You know, so the, the, the law points us in the right direction. It, it, it instructs us about the heart of God for his people, how he wants us to be. You know, we don't always know right or wrong until we're told what right or wrong is. Would you agree with me? So God's law shows us his heart for his people, but our, our relationship to the law has changed. And Jesus says right here, as far as the importance, I, I, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not one dot will pass from the law until it's all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the, in the kingdom of God. Now, how do we square that with what Paul says? He says in uh, Romans 7, 5, we're, now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And as we look at Jesus' teaching, we see in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he does not relax the law as as we go on, we're going to see that he, he takes it very seriously. And in many of the examples, he's going to say to his disciples and whoever else is listening, you think that you're following the law. You think that you're good in, in this area or that. But you know what? You're following it outwardly, but in the heart, you're not. He says it's... You've heard it said, do not, do not murder. But he said, if you hate your brother, you're, you're, a, you're a murderer of the heart. And he gives several examples of this. You see what he's doing as he's saying, you know, the, these written codes, the, the law really focuses a lot, or, or it appears to be, people have taken it to appear to be what's on the outside, our, our external behavior. You know, we can, we can fake it. We can, we can behave very well, but still on the, on the inside, we're, we're murderers, we're, we're adulterers. You know, it helps us to see that it's, it's our motives that matter. It's, it's what's in our hearts. You know, the, the law helps us to see our, our sinful nature. It helps us to see how we are all transgressors of the law, even, even when we think that we're doing okay. And Paul 
gives an example of this in Romans 7, 7. He says, you know, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law said you shall not covet. Here's an, here's an illustration. When we first moved to Arkansas, one time we, we were, Chris and I were taking a drive to uh, Little Rock. We were on the, uh, the interstate. And as we're going along, there was a car pulled over on the shoulder way off the road, maybe, maybe 10 feet from the lane I was in. And there were two police cars behind him with their, their lights going. And I'm thinking, boy, I'm glad I'm not that guy as I drive by. Well, guess what? I was that guy because a minute later, there's the lights behind me. And I found out there was a law. I found out that I had, I had transgressed a law that I didn't even know existed. And the law is, if you're in Arkansas and there's an emergency vehicle with its lights going, you need to pull over into the other lane as you go around, either that or slow way down. I didn't know that was a law. It's a good law. And I never broke that law again. In fact, with, with my sinful nature, I became very judgmental of other people. As I, as I got into the other lane, I looked in my rearview mirror to make sure everybody else was getting in the other lane. And guess what? A lot of them didn't, you know. And I was like, well, those guys don't know this, this rule. You know, they don't know this law. I hope they get caught, Right? Anyway, you know, ignorance was not an excuse. I, I paid a $150 fine for, for, for breaking that law I didn't know was a law. And it's a good law. It's there to keep people safe. It's also in Washington. Okay, you guys hear that. It's, it's, it's. You know, just to show how depraved I am, I, I got home and I I looked it up online and I... I found I found articles that supported my belief that maybe that's not a good law and Anyway, Jesus in his discussion here he what what he's leading to is that we need to be righteous. In fact, really it's what's in our heart that matters. He says we need we need to be more righteous than the Pharisees. Now, that would, that's, that's got to be a shocking statement too, you know, because who were who the most righteous people in Israel? It was these Pharisees. You know, they, 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 were, the, they were the teachers of the law. They were, they were the epitome of, of righteousness in, in Israel. And, can, you know, can you imagine what they were thinking, the people who, who heard Jesus said this? You know, they knew the law. They knew it backwards and forward. And they even made up new laws to build what, what's called a fence around the Torah. The Jews, even to this day, use, use this term, uh, having a fence around the Torah. It's laws that aren't, re- they weren't really given to law, or, or by God as law, but they were given by men to keep us from even coming close to violating the law. And, you know, I, I believe that from, from what the kind of things that Jesus said to them, they were more concerned about their laws than they were the lawgiver. You know, they'd, they'd come to that point to where they're, they're very self-satisfied as we all become 
feeling that they were upholding the law. They were, they're, they're more righteous than anybody else, so they thought. And I'm sure they convinced everybody else of that as well. That's what would make this so shocking. When we look at uh, later on in Matthew in chapter 23, verses 25 through 28, Jesus is talking to the, the Pharisees and, and the scribes. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for, you're clean on the outs- or for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Uh, you blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside must be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Ouch. You know, so they, they had the outward appearance of, of being good, of being righteous, but in their hearts they were, they were rotten. Um, Outwardly, they were blameless, but Jesus knew their hearts. And uh, you know, later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us examples of how we can think that we're following the law, but inwardly, just like these Pharisees, we're, we're lawbreakers. We're full of hypocrisy and, and lawlessness. And to make matters worse, just like them, we... We criticize other people for the things that, that we're guilty of. And Jesus says of them, the scribes and the Pharisees, this is in Matthew 23, starting in verse 1. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do not observe what they tell you. Or, excuse me, do and observe. Do what they tell you, observe what they tell you, but not the works they do. For they, are, they preach, but they don't practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. And he goes on to say, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. These are some strong words. He's saying... Their lawlessness is even to the extreme to where they're keeping other people out. They're saying, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna make yourself acceptable to God, this is what you need to do. And Jesus sees what's in their hearts. He sees what's in our hearts. And he says here in our, our text, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the, the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh Wow. What do we do with that? Now, this this puts a big responsibility on those who would be leaders in in a church, doesn't it? Uh, You know, I I need to ask myself, and other leaders need to ask themselves, you know, what, what if those you're leading act just like you? 
What if, what if their relationship is just with, with the Lord is, is just like yours? What's this church going to look like? What if, what if their internal lives are just like yours? What if, what if their prayer lives are just like yours? What would this church look like? You know, parents, what would it look like if your children were just like you, if they grew up to be just like you? What kind of, you know, fathers, what, what are your sons going to be like in their, in their families if they treat their wives the way you treat your wife? What would their children be like if you treat them the way, if they treat theirs the way you treat yours? You know, what, what, were those, what will their spiritual lives look like if theirs emulates yours? And so Jesus holds up these Pharisees as, as a negative example. He's saying, don't be like them. Don't be like them. He's telling us our righteousness needs to exceed theirs. And here's where these ideas all all converge, I think. Here's the thing. Is our righteousness going to exceed the Pharisees if it's our own righteousness? No. That's self-righteousness. We need the Lord. The righteousness we need is the righteousness that we receive from, from the Lord Jesus. Christ's righteousness is what we need. And the law demonstrates to us very clearly, we cannot do this on our own. And over the next several sermons, we're going we're to be looking at this, this common theme. We need Christ who came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. We cannot be saved by the law, nor can we be saved by our good works. What saves us? God's grace through the Lord Jesus, through faith in him as our Lord and our our Savior. So, yeah, Christ came to fulfill the law. And again, uh, this this is a feeble attempt to, to, to even even uh, present this because there's there's so much more in, in the Bible. But you remember on the, the road to Emmaus when uh, Jesus is walking along with a couple disciples who don't know, they don't see him, they don't recognize him for whatever reason. What did, he, what did Jesus do? He said, starting with the, the law and the prophets, he showed that the Old Testament, that the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures talked about him. Remember, Jesus talks to the uh, scribes and the Pharisees at one point, and he says, you know, you, you read the scriptures because you think that in them you find life, but they speak of me. Jesus came to fulfill what was written in the Old Testament. The entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the story of God's redemptive purpose, redeeming sinful man. And, you know, we're only a couple chapters into to Genesis before uh, we're, we're turning away from God and going our own way. How can our, how can our righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees? We need Jesus.
And we're, again, we're going to see as we, we progress through this, this teaching of Jesus, the, the Sermon on the Mount, that uh, Jesus does not relax the law. He, he points out that our best efforts to follow the law may lead to outward compliance, but uh, they do not necessarily reflect a, a heart turned Godward. Our righteousness needs to come from Christ. And elsewhere Jesus, in the Gospels, Jesus sums up the law. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul and your mind and your strength. In other words, everything you've got, don't hold back. Love God that much. And second, love others. And uh, you know, the second part, by the way, according to James... James calls it the royal law. I love that. The royal law. What does that what does that say? This is this is the royal law. This is the law from the king. We sung about King Jesus in that hymn this morning. The sermon is about the kingdom of God, the royal law. James says in uh, James 2.8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you'll love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. And uh, that's hard. It's hard to do. It's a hard law to follow, and we can't do it on our, our own. It's impossible. That's why we need the king. What, what's impossible for men, Jesus says, is possible for God. What's impossible for men is possible for God. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we, we acknowledge that, that you are holy, that you are righteous, and, and we fall so short of, of your righteousness and, and your holiness. So, Lord, we, uh, we submit ourselves. We yield ourselves to you. Lord Jesus, thank you, for, thank you for the cross where you took our sins and became sin that, that we might become righteous in you. You've, you've commanded us, Lord, to... Uh, to be holy for for you are holy and so let us lord see in your word what what pleases you we want to uh, live in close relationship with you we, lord we want to we want to keep in step with with your holy spirit so conform us lord to to the image of of christ that we might be like him And we ask these things in, in his name, the, the mighty, powerful, wonderful, awesome name of Jesus, the name above all names, Jesus Christ, amen.